0: You can turn with me to the book of Malachi, chapter 1. You know, and let me just say, you guys get to hear Blake week in and week out, so it's easy to forget what an absolutely amazing teacher Blake is. I, I mean, I honestly, if I have a Sunday off, I'd love to come and listen to Blake teach. He's probably one of the best Bible teachers I think I've, I've ever listened to. Uh, I remember when he, he came back and he did an internship here, and I would put him in front of uh, our 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 crowd, our adult people, and they would, they would walk up afterwards, they're like, you, you know, that that young man can really teach them, like, yeah, I know, I mean, he's really, really good, and he's a gift to Grace Bible Church, so um, if you get a chance, write him a note, or just uh, make sure you, you uh, get on the video, say thanks to Blake, I mean, his love language is cars, but you can't afford that, so just write him a card, right? Um, sorry I was not with you last week, the week before, I finished the second sermon here at Southwood. I got lunch, and on the drive home, my fever went up to like 101, right? I mean, I was feeling a little tired as finishing the second service, but then I just I got in bed. Tristie put four blankets on me. I was shivering, and then I slept for a week. And I called T.A., and, and he graciously stepped in kind of last minute to fill in. And what you may not know is he was actually coming down with the flu as he spoke last week. It's pretty amazing, right? A really good talk for a guy who who had the flu, so if you see him, say thanks, but don't shake his hand, because I don't know if he's feeling good or not, right? Um, I actually met Blake, and I met Matt Morton when they were still students. They were living in uh, Scandia apartments right across from the street from our our Anderson campus, so I had a standing invitation to go visit them at their apartment anytime, and I had a special invitation. Every Tuesday night, they would have mac and cheese night, right? So for three, literally like three years running, I think almost without fail, mac and cheese night in their Scandi apartment, Matt would make this huge vat of macaroni and cheese and they would invite, invite all their friends and all their neighbors to just, you know, engorge themselves with mac and cheese. And I remember there's one particular night when uh, one of their, their neighbors, a guy named Scott, he, he was studying at the Bush School and uh, he had kind of like a special relationship with George and Barbara, when they would come into town, he might get their bags for them, or run an errand for them, or walk their dog for them, or whatever. And so Scott said, in the middle of mac and cheese night, he goes, what would you guys think if I invited George and Barbara Bush to mac and cheese night, right? And they're like, oh my gosh, that would be amazing, right? And if you ever heard anything about George and Barbara, that's the kind of thing they might actually show up for. And they're just going, oh yeah. Everybody's like, yeah, you got to invite him. You got to invite them." And then Matt just had this moment where he just stopped. He goes, um maybe we should serve a salad too, right? I mean, maybe we should take it up a notch, right? Not just serve mac and cheese, but add a, add a salad out of a bag because we have these honored guests in our midst, right? I, and it made me think, what, what would what would I serve? If I had the opportunity to have a guest like George Bush and his wife, Barbara Bush, if I got to have George and Barbara come to my, my home, what, what would I serve? probably, not mac and cheese or cold pizza or ramen like those guys usually uh, would eat every night. And I wonder, what would you serve? What, what would you serve an, an honored guest? You'd serve your best, right? You'd probably put a little bit of forethought into what you were going to serve that evening. It wouldn't be mac and cheese. probably wouldn't even be mac and cheese with a salad. But it would be your absolute best. You'd make a sacrifice to put a good meal in front of them. And what's happening in Malachi's day is that the people are not giving God their best. They're serving him their leftovers. Worship is like sharing a meal with the Lord, and the people are to bring the food to have fellowship in his presence. And it's the highest privilege they could possibly have, and they're serving him their leftovers. And so Malachi is sent by the Lord to stir up the people so that they will give God their absolute best. So I want you to read with me. If you're not already there, turn to Malachi chapter 1, and we're going to begin reading in verse 6. Malachi 1 verse 6. A son honors his father and a servant his master. Then if I'm a father, where is my honor? And if I'm a master, where is my respect? Says the Lord of hosts, to you, O priests, who despise my name. But you say, how have we despised your name? You're presenting defiled food upon my altar. But you say, how have we defiled you? In that you say the table of the Lord is to be despised. But when you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you present the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Why not offer it to your governor? Would he be pleased with you? Or would he receive you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? Remember the setting. The people have been brought miraculously back to the land. They've been rescued out of Babylon, out of exile. They've rebuilt the temple and restored sacrifice. Nehemiah was sent and they rebuilt the walls of the city. The city is restored, but the people are still struggling in the land because they're still under foreign domination with heavy taxation. Their crops are not yielding abundant produce. And so they're hesitant to give God their best. They're fearful to give God their best. And so they're holding back and God looks at their worship and he says, This is not worthy worship. This is worthless worship. In English, the word worship is actually a contraction from the phrase worth ship. It means to proclaim or to demonstrate something's worth. In Hebrew, The most common word for worship is literally just to fall down, to be flat on the ground. Interestingly, it's the same in Greek, and the idea is this. The the, uh, position of your body can reflect or direct the attitude of your heart, and if you're all the way on the ground, flat, you have to look up to see God. And you're proclaiming, he is greater than I. He is worthy of my sacrifice. And so what God required of the people is that they would bring their best, right? You have an animal born? Well, give me the firstborn animal. Give me the first fruits of your crop. Give me the best that you have. Give me your best worship. Why? Because God needed their stuff? No. But he wanted their heart. But he wanted wanted all of their heart. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. And so every time they had a moment of worship, they had to think to themselves, am I bringing God my absolute best? in worship. Now, in our family, uh, I do probably the majority of the grocery shopping, which is great, because I've got Kroger memorized. Right, I know every aisle. I know where all the stuff is that our family likes to eat, and so I'm super efficient. And I probably actually go to Kroger, I would guess, at least three or four times a week, because as I'm driving home, I'll, not as I'm driving, but before I drive, I text... Or call, and I ask my wife, is there anything that you need from the grocery store, right? And we always need bread or milk or eggs or something like that, right? So I'm in and out of Kroger at least three or four times a week. And if you know Kroger on on Rock Prairie, as you walk in the left door and turn to the left, that's where all the flowers are. So from time to time, I will stop at the flowers, and I will pick out flowers for my wife. And before you think anything highly of me whatsoever that you should not think, I see absolutely no value in flowers, (laughs) right? I mean, like zero. I... Don't ever buy me flowers. I, they just seem completely worthless to me because you cut them and they start to die. Right? So I, just, I don't get it. But my wife loves flowers. And so I like to buy her flowers because I love her. And so I will stop and I'll actually examine the flowers right, to make sure they're not brown or wilting or whatever. I mean, I look for a deal. But I'm, I'm checking. I, w- I don't want to bring her home something that's kind of nasty and gnarly looking because I want to show her that I value her. Right? And she values flowers. So I make the sacrifice to give to her. Now, my friend, um, Brad Evans, who also works here, I'm, I'm going to use an illustration about Brad that I, I did ask permission to tell this story. But um, Brad, uh, it took him a while to figure this principle out. Before he was married and before he met Susan, he was on Campus Crusade for Christ staff. And he and another staff guy, they discovered that the local florist shop at the the end of the weekend. So Monday morning, uh, any flowers that they hadn't sold over the weekend, they would uh, kind of secondhand flowers. They would take all of those and they would put them in the dumpster behind the floral shop. Right? You, just, you can feel where this is going, can't you? <laughs> so if they timed it just right, they could go by the dumpster on Monday morning and they could get armfuls of cut. Flowers that they would gather up and then they would distribute to the staff girls, the crew staff girls, who just absolutely loved it. That they were consistently receiving flowers from Brad and one of their other coworkers. They loved it until they found out that these flowers had been rescued from the dumpster. Right then, it just didn't it didn't go well at all. Right? Uh, remember uh, the the phrase? Uh, it's the thought that counts. Right? It depends on the thought. Right? I mean. <laughs> This is just an afterthought. Funny, uh, Trishy and I actually experienced the same kind of thing. We have a we had a, a person close to our family. Let me just say who who gave us a really nice coffee table book for Christmas one year, and and gave that to a, a bunch of other folks who are. Uh, in our circle, and we open it up, we're like, wow, this is a really nice coffee table book, and uh, this guy got super excited, he goes, yeah, it's amazing. I was just walking behind the dollar store, and I looked in their dumpster, and they just had armloads of this, and we're like, oh, right? <laughs> Thanks. It's the thought that counts. Depending upon what the thought is, if it's an afterthought, that doesn't feel like love at all. So what were the people thinking in Malachi's day? Look at chapter one, verse 12. The Lord says, you are profaning it. That is, you're profaning my name. My name is who I am. My name is what I've done. It's my character. It's my attributes. It's my personality. It's my works. And you are profaning. Literally, you are regarding it as common. It's just like any other name. You're regarding my name as common. In that you say, the table of the Lord is defiled. And as for its fruit, its food is to be despised. You also say, my, how tiresome it is. And you disdainfully sniff at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring what was taken by robbery and what is lame or sick, so you bring the offering. Should I receive that from your hand, says the Lord. To despise something meant literally to look down on that thing. And if I'm looking down on that thing, I'm above that thing. You're looking down on the name of the Lord rather than lifting up the name of the Lord. You're coming to worship, which is pictured as sharing a meal with the Lord. The privileged guest, and you are to supply the food, which is your offering for the meal with the Lord. And you're bringing your second best, your third best. You're bringing your leftovers. You're defiling my name. And the Lord says, this is worthless worship. So what's the solution? Verse 10. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the gates, that you might not uselessly kindle fire on my altar. I'm not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from you. The Lord says this, you know what, just stop. Would you just stop for a minute? Just shut the gates and think about what you're doing here. Think about this transaction between us. I've invited you to come and share a meal with you. I've invited you to be in my presence and you've forgotten who I am. I'm the king of kings and the lord of lords. I'm the creator of the universe and the sustainer of all things. I'm the one who rescued you out of slavery in Egypt and I rescued you out of slavery and oppression in Babylon and I've restored you to the land. All the good gifts that you have are from me. It's a privilege to be in my presence. Could you just stop for a moment and think about what we're doing here? Verse 11, for from the rising of the sun, even to its setting, my name will be great among the nations. And in every place, incense is going to be offered to my name and a grain offering that is pure for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Verse 14, in the second half of the verse, because I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is feared among the nations. And right now your worship of me is not worthy of me. Because I'm great. I'm incomparable. There's none like me. And there's nothing like this moment where I call you into my presence. So what does worthy worship look like? Well, it's, that's a huge topic. So I'm just going to give you a few characteristics. First is this. Worthy worship is sacrificial by nature, right? The sacrificial system required what? Sacrifice, right? It's not a trick question. sacrificial system required... Sacrifice. There was cost involved. Uh, remember when the, the plague was sweeping through Israel because David had ordered a census and thousands of people were dying and the Lord said, to stop the plague, you need to make a sacrifice. And so David approached Aruna and he said, I need your threshing floor because this is the place that I need to make a sacrifice to the Lord. And Arunah said, let me just give it to you and I'll give you the oxen to make the sacrifice. And David said, no, because I will not offer to the Lord that which costs me nothing. It needs to cost me something because in the cost, I remember how valuable the Lord is. I won't offer to the Lord that which costs me nothing. Now I recall my, my senior year in college. One of my friends was dating a girl really seriously, and uh, he decided he wanted to marry her. And so uh, he went out and he got a ring, right? And we were all excited for him. He b- bought the ring, and we were over at his house. He said, "Hey, do you guys want to see the ring?" I like, absolutely. It's really cool. Uh, let's see it. He brings the ring out. and He opens it up, and I swear to you, we couldn't actually see the diamond. Now. I'm not saying that every girl has to have a huge diamond or whatever, you know. And even now, some people don't like a solitaire. Back then, a solitaire was the only kind of thing you, you'd get. But this solitaire was like so solitary, you couldn't find it. Like, it was like they'd been cutting the diamond, and by accident, a little flake went off. And then he stuck that in there. And I'm like, I mean, really, really we're like, I mean, we, we just stopped. There were three of us were like, you know, we had to like bend in close to see it. And I mean, and then we all kind of look back, we're like, Oh man, this is not going to go good. This is not going to go good. Oh, awesome. Great. Right. So week later he gives her the diamond and we see him go, Hey, how'd that go? He goes, uh, (laughs) she ended up with a bigger diamond. And I'm not saying that she was materialistic or anything, but I'm just saying he was cheap, right? He was just, he was just a cheap dude. And, and she felt that cheapness and it, devalued her because he didn't make a sacrifice. There was no sacrifice involved. Now let me rescue my friend Brad. Brad did figure this out, right? He did figure this out. Um, This story will make sense only if you know Brad loves maybe more than anything hunting and fishing. Like he's a man of the field and stream. He's an outdoor guy. He was raised in uh, Missouri on a, a farm And so his life was kind of centered around the cycles of hunting and fishing, and uh, during college, and then right after college, he had purchased for himself a really nice fishing boat, and he had a four-wheeler, and he met Susan, and he had no cash, but he wanted to marry her, and so he sold that which previously had been most valuable to him, his boat and his four-wheeler. And so if you want to know what a boat looks like on someone's finger, you just look at Susan's (laughs) diamond, right? He... He gave it up. And I asked him a little while back, I said, well, what do you think? Was it worth it? (laughs) He goes, oh, come on. I valued her so much more highly that it really didn't even feel like a sacrifice. Worthy worship, by its nature, is sacrificial. God doesn't need our money. He didn't need their animals. He doesn't need our time. He doesn't need our talents. But we need to worship. Right And so we need to sacrifice because every time we sacrifice we 're reminded that God is most valuable. right Worship fundamentally aligns us with this truth of the universe that God is worthy, so God will continually come to you and he 's going to meddle with your heart he 's going to touch on those affections that are beginning to rise up that that threaten. to to allow you to love something more than you love God. And so he's going to test you in terms of your grip on your time and sharing your skills and your finances or your possessions or a relationship or a career. And he's going to say, I want your best because I'm worthy of your best. Will you give me your best? Will you give me the first fruits, the firstborn, the best of all that you have? Because worthy worship is fundamentally Sacrificial, Because we need to sacrifice. We need to have our hearts tested so we don't love foolish things more than we love the Lord. Second, worthy worship is joyful and it is free. I want you to turn with me to John chapter 12 and verse 1. John 12, uh, it, in my opinion, I think it holds one of the most um, powerful moments in the three years that the disciples were with Jesus John chapter 12 has this moment that is just it's in a sense it's kind of like this sensory overload moment right? John 12 verse 1 it says Jesus therefore six days before the passover came to Bethany where Lazarus was whom Jesus had raised from the dead so they made him a supper there and Martha was serving but Lazarus was one of those reclining at the table Mary then took a pound of very costly perfume of pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair, and the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. Have you ever been in a restaurant where somebody drops uh, some plates or dishes or glasses? Right? The, the, you know those moments where there's conversation going on, it's rumble, 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 and then... Right? And what happens? All conversation stops, all eyes turn toward the kitchen, right? and, and a focused attention is immediately diverted that's what's happening in this moment. Mary takes this vial and she breaks the neck of the vial, right? So you've got rumble, rumble, rumble. Conversation is happening amongst the twelve disciples and there are other guests sitting around and then glass breaks. And their eyes turn and what they see in that moment is they see this horribly culturally inappropriate setting. This scene where a young single woman is down on her feet or down on her knees before Jesus and she's touching him, inappropriate, and she's lowering her hair, taking her hair down. That's completely inappropriate. And then she's pouring this oil on him and actually wiping his feet with her hair, right? So you've got the crash of the glass. All eyes turn. They see this inappropriate scene. And then whew, the smell is just overwhelming because she takes a Roman pound, 12 ounces, and pours it on Jesus' feet. This is an oil. It's, it's extracted from a plant in India. It's super valuable. An honored guest might get a drop On his or her her hair. And she takes an entire 12 ounces. What is almost certainly her life savings. It's an entire year's wages that she has saved. And she pours it out on Jesus' feet. And so you have this sound that gets their attention. And then the sight of this thing that's so incredibly culturally inappropriate. And then the smell is overwhelming. And all of the disciples say to one another, Why this waste? What a foolish young woman. Why would this waste of such a valuable resource? And Jesus says, what you call waste, I call worship. Yes, it was sacrificial. It was very costly. But it was joyful and it was free. No one coerced her. No one told her to give. She just gave because she loved Jesus. It was just joyful and it was free. It was the overflow of her heart that she wanted to give. And that's worthy worship. It's a privilege to worship. But sometimes privileges feel like burdens, don't they? Because you just get in the habit. And you're just going through the motions. And you're not stopping and thinking about the privilege. It's just drudgery. I remember as I was going through seminary, which was an incredible privilege to be there, but there were frequently times where it just felt like a burden. It felt like drudgery. It felt like a burden to study the Word of God, right? Which doesn't even sound like it should fit in the same sentence, but it felt like that sometimes. And it was, there were several reasons. One of those reasons was because it was expensive. And when I was at AM, I was paying, I started at $4 a credit hour, gasp, right? And then by the end of my time, the tuition had gone up so much it was sixteen dollars a credit hour, and students were you know rioting in the streets against sixteen dollars a credit hour. It was you know, but it was really 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 inexpensive. There were semesters when uh, my books cost more than my tuition. <laughs> I know, gasp! It was crazy. And then I went to seminary, which is a private school, and my tuition is like ten times more, twelve times more, and so it was really expensive. And I was working menial jobs. I'd, worked as a security guard, and I moved furniture, and I took tickets at a parking garage. And my friends are beginning their process of climbing the corporate ladder. And they were buying houses, and they were buying new cars, and they were getting married, and I was still single. And it was a struggle, and I was coming out of economics, and so I was a quantitative guy. And now all I'm doing is reading and writing, and I was struggling. And it just felt like drudgery. And then I would stop, and I would remember the privilege. I would remember that first day that I stepped foot into chapel, the chapel service. And I just was overwhelmed and I just cried and I said, Lord, thank you that I have time to set aside just to study your word. And I remembered the privilege that it was to learn and to grow in the Lord. I'm going to read you a short note. This was written by a a prospective student, an African student who was trying to get to Dallas Seminary. And uh, he sent this note to one of the professors. He wrote, greetings in the name of our Lord Jesus. My wife and I are still trusting the Lord for a scholarship from Dallas Seminary to enable me to enroll next school year. Our village was attacked by rebel forces and we lost everything we had. I would appreciate it if you were to email a photocopy of my letter of acceptance from DTS. Kindly consider my request. My letter of acceptance went missing when some unknown gunmen stayed in my home after we ran away from home. I will tell you, in my experience at seminary, the most godly people were the international students. Because they just had this sustained sense of gratitude. It's such a privilege to worship. And it's a privilege to serve. To, to, To serve was also to worship. So for the priests, the word that's sometimes translated service is also another word for worship. Their worship was their service. And their service was their worship. So listen to these words from Deuteronomy chapter 10. It reads, At that time the Lord set apart the tribe of Levi to carry the ark of the covenant of the Lord, to stand before the Lord to serve him and to bless in his name until this day. Therefore Levi does not have a portion or inheritance with his brothers because the Lord is his inheritance. See what he's saying? Uh, All of the other tribes, they got a big chunk of land in which they could settle. But Levi, you're not going to get a a piece of land. Because you're going to get me. You're going to have the privilege of drawing closer to me than any other tribe has. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a few cities in each of these areas for you to dwell in. So that you can teach the people about me. You can represent me. And then you'll be on your rotation. You'll come to Jerusalem and you'll draw into my presence. And I will be your inheritance. So if someone was born in the tribe of Simeon and said, you know, I want to be able to go into the holy of holies or into the holy place and make an offering, I want to be a priest, the Lord would say, no, it's only for the Levites. Somebody from the tribe of of Ephraim said, I want to be a priest, the Lord would say, no, it's only for the Levites. Somebody from the tribe of Judah said, I want to be a priest, no, it's only for the Levites, it's a special privilege that they get to draw close to me and they worship me through their service. And so it was their responsibility to represent the Lord before the people. They're the mediators of God's blessing. And so through their teaching and through their lives, the people would learn, this is what God is like. And then they would take the people's sacrifices and prayers and bring them before the Lord. They would stand in mediation between the Lord and the people. And the people would learn what God was like from them. So when they brought their sacrifices, the priest's responsibility was to take that sacrifice and say, that's not your best. That's not worthy of the Lord. Let me tell you what the Lord is really like. Now, bring your best. Or someone would bring their best and they'd say, that's a beautiful sacrifice. It's a worthy worship moment before the Lord. You've brought your best and he is worthy. And so the priests and the Levites would help the people understand this is what worthy worship is really all about. But they were failing in their job. And so the people weren't worshiping in a worthy manner because the priests weren't representing God as he truly was. Leviticus chapter 10, it says, By those who come near me, I will be treated as holy, and before all of the people, I will be honored. But you, O priests, are not honoring me. And when you're setting the table before the people, you're looking down on me. You're not lifting me up. And so the people do not regard me as worthy of their best because you don't regard me as worthy of of their best. And so you are the ones who demonstrate to the people what I'm really like. Now what's interesting is if you look at um, the, the flow of the Old Testament, look at the Pentateuch in particular, it was the Levites who represented God to the people. But all of the people were to represent God to all of the nations. Right? So Exodus chapter 19, the Lord says, Now then, if you will indeed obey my voice and keep my covenant, then you shall be my possession among all the peoples. For all of the earth is mine, and you shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Right. So here's the idea. You will live with me in such a relationship that all the nations around will look in, and they'll say, oh, that's what God is like. Because you've represented me well in your life and in your speech. Now they can know what I'm like. And it's a privilege to represent me. It's a privilege to serve me. So, let's bring this into our world. Who are the priests of the Lord today? Well, we are, right? First Peter chapter 2. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation... A people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And so the world should look in at the church and they would say, okay, that's what God is like. He is worthy of our best. Through our speech, through our lives, the words that we say, the way that we live, people would say, oh, this is what God is like. They represent their God and now we know and we want to worship him too. It's a privilege. It's an honor. And sometimes we just have to stop and remember what's going on here. This is a moment in which we give God our best because he's worthy. We're in worship. And then we go out and we serve and we give God our best in our lives and our speech because he's worthy of our best service. Sometimes we just get in the habit we're going through the motions and it begins to feel like drudgery. It feels like a burden but it's a privilege. And we just have to stop and remember that. You know I, I remember my, my first summer in texas you know know, raised in the the north and first summer here i'm like okay well i guess that's what hell is like august came around and and i was mowing lawns and i was playing tennis i'm like this is this is horrible how do people live here and i remember mowing the lawn going oh man i'm suffering so much and i will say even now sometimes I, i i it feels like a burden to mow my lawn and then i gotta go through the burden i have to take out my trash and i have to pay my bills and i have to fix up the house and then i stop and go wow What a privilege. I I have a lawn. And I have such an abundance that I throw things away. And I have a home for which I have to pay bills. But I have money to pay these bills. What a privilege. What an honor. And periodically I just have to stop and say, this is a privilege. I have been blessed with so much. And so as we close this morning, what I'd like for us to do is we're going to share in communion together. And communion is an incredible reminder That Jesus gave all for us. So if I could have the servers go back and prepare for communion. And as they are preparing and serving us. I want you to think about three different things. The first is this. Are you just going through the motions? And is this a moment for you to just shut the gates? just, Just stop going through the motions of worship. Because maybe you're falling down in a sense with your body. But your heart is not lifting God up. Are you giving God your best? Is there something in your life that the Lord is reaching in and he's beginning to tweak? He's saying, no, you're you're holding back from me. I want your best. I want your first fruits. I want you to be willing to surrender all to me because that's worthy worship. Reminding us through communion where Jesus gave his whole body broken. He physically suffered and he poured out his blood, the cup, that Jesus held absolutely nothing back in what he gave for us, and he's worthy consequently for us to give back all to him as well. So if I can have the server service. We'll wait till everyone is served and then we'll take the cup and the bread together. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. He said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, the blood that's poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. Let's take the cup together. Jesus, thank you for giving us all. Thank you for holding nothing back. Teach us to worship in a manner that is consistent with and appropriate to the sacrifice that you have made for us. Teach us to give you our all, to give you our best. stand. let's respond in worship. Let's pray, Father, I pray that our our worship would be worthy because you're great, you're incomparable. There's none like you. And I pray, Lord, that we would learn to give you our, our first, that we'd learn to give you our best, that we would learn to give you our all just as Jesus gave to us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let me encourage you as you're leaving uh, this week, you have a great opportunity to represent the Lord everywhere you go. It's an incredible privilege. And don't forget to say thanks to Blake, maybe a card, a note, or get on video as you leave. You guys have a great week.